I'm pumped up. I uh, felt like God told me that today was going to be a preaching message. Normally, I'm a teacher. Teaching's about explaining stuff that we may not already know. Preaching tends to be about motivating us to act on what we already know to be true. Preaching also tends to be louder. So we'll see what happens. This is not a series. I just felt like I was supposed to do a one-off message about possessing your promises. Deuteronomy 1, verse 8. Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and their seed after them. I believe this is a prophetic word for us as individuals and as a church. Now certainly this was, was Moses talking to the nation of Israel, but how many of you know that each of us have a promised land? What's that mean? It's, it's the land or it's the, the promises of God. We all have promises that God has given us. You, you, you've got promises in the Bible for your health, for your well-being, for re- relational health. There's promises that my kids will grow up to serve the Lord. There's, there's uh, promises that my finances are going to be taken care of, that God is with me, that His presence is always going to be with me. There's promises that I can see the world change and see impossibility bow to the name of Jesus. And what, what God says is, go in and take possession of your promised land. And this is how God works. He declares you to be the owner of something, but then we have to go in and take possession of it. It's very much like uh, somebody in your family goes on to be with the Lord and they leave you an inheritance and the will says... This thing is now your legal possession, but you still have to go down to the bank and and take ownership. And sometimes there are hurdles between you and receiving that inheritance. Well, let's look at Numbers 13. This is the question that people always have, right? Is, Is there all these great promises, but it seems like there's all kinds of problems in my life, and maybe not all of the promises seem to be coming to pass. Everybody say, yet. Yet, Y-E-T. All right, now, look at Numbers 13. The nation of Israel faced this same problem. They were about to go into the promised land, and they sent some spies out. They sent 12 spies out to go and see what kind of land God had provided. Let's read about it. Verse 25, And they returned from searching the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel under the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. If you know the story, they actually carried grapes. Their grapes were so big they had to have two guys carry them on a stick. It was a good land. Everybody say, the promises of God are good. God wants good things for me. 
That's what John 10.10 says. It says, the thief, the devil, has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus has come that we might have life and that more abundantly. So the land is a good land. And they told him, we came into the land where you sent us, and surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Well, this is, this is when you, you, know, you come to church and the pastor says, Oh, God loves you. God's got good things for you. You start to get excited and you think, Yeah, it's great, right? It's great being a Christian. And it is. I'd sure rather be a Christian than be confused about whether or not God loves me and is for me. But it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Why not? Verse 28. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there, talking about giants. So he says, God has promised us this stuff. He's promised us this land. He says, this is already your possession. And yet there are squatters there. There are people that are illegally in possession of what God has already declared to be mine. Now, in the New Testament, we're not at war with, with people. People are not my problem. The nation of Israel, they actually had to go to war with other, with other people, right? But Ephesians 6 says we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. What do we wrestle with? Principalities and powers and things. That means there's, there's demonic forces that are trying to keep me out of the thing that God has promised me. We all have a destiny, but there are giants that are trying to keep me from accomplishing it. Is this true? And this is the, the battle that we're born into. God speaks. Every, every child that's born has a prophetic destiny. They have gifts and talents and abilities. They have a, a good plan for their life, a purpose for their life. And yet there are resistances, hindrances. To these things. And what, what the Lord is saying to us is, look, you, you need to rise up and go in there and kill whatever giants are there and take possession of what God has already declared to be yours. So what I want to do today is try to, try to motivate us. This is stuff probably we all already have some clarity on, but I, I want to I motivate us and I want to Give us a strategy to help us go in and do this. So look, all, all, the, all the notes are, are written, so, so I need you to engage with me. This is a, this is a preaching, yeah. preaching message, not a teaching message. Okay? So, how do we over... Now, okay, now look. In the, in the land, there's these giants, Right? What are the giants? Well, they got different names. There's stuff like disappointment, offense, hurt, rejection, shame, all kinds of things like that. But if you boil them all down, they find expression in this one word, fear. What's trying to keep you out of your promised land? Fundamentally, it's fear. It's false evidence appearing real. It's, it's the devil lying to you about what will happen if you go in there and try to fight these giants. And that's what, that's what 
these Israelites figured out. Let's read the rest of it. Look at verse 30. Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. I love Caleb's attitude. But that's not the attitude that most people had. Here's the attitude most people had. But the men that went up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report unto the land, which they had searched out, etc. And it says they saw giants. Now read verse 33. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, catch this, and so were we in theirs. That's the opposite of what you would think. You might think they treated us like small people, and so we felt small. It's not what it says. It says we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and that affected their perception of us. Listen, how you see yourself has everything to do with how other people view you. They said, we were in our own sight grasshoppers. We can't do it. Two guys said, we're well able. Let's go in right now. Let's not delay anymore for you guys to freak out. Sometimes you got to just do something immediately. Sometimes when God speaks, you got to rise up. I'm going to do it right now. Why? Because if you wait, the devil's going to come. He's going to say, if you do that, terrible things are going to happen. Caleb says, no, let's go in right now. But the voice of these ten, ten other ones, they didn't see themselves the same way that Joshua and Caleb saw, them, Caleb saw themselves. Here's point number one. How do I possess the land? Everybody ready for it? Agree with God about who you are. Agree with God. Well, what's that mean? It, it, it means this. Who, who was trying to make these guys feel small? Was it God? No. no. It was the enemy. Right. And yet, I, I, I'm not mad at anybody, but I spent a lot of time in church thinking that the way for me to possess victory was to feel small and to loathe myself. And we've got, to, we've got to let go of this religious notion that, that God's number one goal is to, is to humble me and make me feel like a worm. There is no scripture that says God's going to humble you. There's not one. There's lots of scriptures that say what? You're supposed to humble yourself. But if you do that, James 4.10 says, he'll exalt you. Now, God, God is not trying to puff you up and make you have a big head. But he's trying to get you to agree with the fact 
that you've been born again and changed and, and you've been recreated in righteousness and true holiness. That's what Ephesians 4.24 says. Let me show you how crazy this is. Look at John 17. How does God want to view, want you to view yourself? John 17, verse 22. This is Jesus praying and He's speaking to the Father and He says, The glory which you gave me, I have given them. Who's the them? You. That we may be one even as we are one. That they may be one. Okay. What's this mean? What's glory? I don't know. <laughs> it's really complicated. A great theologian named Hansers von Balthasar, he wrote like a seven volume, it's like this big, about glory. And at the end he said, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> Why? Because it's God. Yeah. And God's ineffable. He's beyond words. He's beyond explanation. However, one of the things that it means, the, the Greek word for glory is doxa, D-O-X-A, and it means the honor or esteem that is conferred when somebody has a good opinion of you. How many of you are excited about the chief season? Woo! So, me, I'm, I'm excited. Go Patrick Mahomes. You know, when he threw that touchdown, 80 yards or whatever, everybody clapped, right? And everybody had a good opinion of Patrick Mahomes in that moment. Patrick Mahomes was receiving glory. The honor and esteem that comes from people having a good opinion of him. Hang with me. Jesus says that the Father has given him glory. What's that mean? God has an exceedingly great, exceptionally beyond reckoning, good opinion about who Jesus is and what he's capable of. How many of you believe that? God thinks the world to Jesus. How many of you believe that? Okay. He says, the glory, the good opinion that the Father gave me, I'm going to give it to you guys. That's something to run around about. That's saying that... that Whatever, whatever God thinks about Jesus, He thinks about you. Yeah. Yeah. He, he actually believes that you're capable of living the same way that Jesus did. That's why John 14, 12 is in the Bible. Jesus said this. He said, if you believe on me, the works I do, you'll do those and you'll do greater stuff. This is why I think sometimes we have a hard time hearing God. Because God doesn't talk to you in a way that makes you feel small. That's what you're expecting. You're going to have a hard time hearing the voice of the Father. Yeah, now listen. What's, what's, how do I possess the land? I've got to see myself the way that God sees me. That means I've got to say, I am well able to do whatever God called me to do. Why? Because of my flesh? No, because of His grace in me. I'm well able to do it. But He say, I can do all things through Christ. 
Hallelujah. Now, I, uh, I had this experience years ago. I was um, in Bible college. I was in night school. And uh, I was at graduation, you know, you always have to have a speaker or whatever. And so they picked a person from day school to be a speaker, and they picked a person from, from night school. And I was the night school speaker, and I was really honored to do this. And they had, they had the graduation you know, and there was like a thousand people at the, at the graduation. There's probably a thousand, several thousand watching online. And so it was like the biggest number of people I've ever talked to. And I was really honored. And I was a little bit nervous because, you know, honestly, actually, the, the, if you know anything about public speaking, the, the bigger the crowd is, actually, the easier it gets. But um, so I wasn't so much worried about that. But what I was worried about is like right down here, Andrew Womack was going to be sitting there. <laughs> And all my, all my teachers, and I'm like, man, don't want to say something stupid. <laughs> and so I was out, I was out walking, uh, and God a lot of times talks to me when I was walking, and I was, I was going through this thing in my head. It's like I was thinking that I needed to be nervous. Because it seemed like the rational response. And so I thought, you know, I need to be, I was thinking about, it's a big honor, I need to do this. And God arrested my thoughts, and this is what he said, plain as day, stop acting like you aren't equivalent to the moment. Stop acting like you weren't born to do this. I thought, well, all right. Maybe I'll, get out of, maybe I'll get out of my religious foolishness and, and believe that God invested me with what was necessary to do what he called me to do. What I've found is that a lot of success in life is just showing up and being yourself, which is harder than you, you might imagine because you've got to keep showing up even when rough stuff happens. But Caleb and Joshua, they just saw themselves different, and they just, they just thought, we can do this. And guess what? They did. Yeah. Now, they had to wait, and it made Caleb mad. You can read this scripture later. I love it. But Caleb, Caleb is 85, and he gets into the promised land, and, and he says to Joshua, now give me my mountain. And he says, as my strength was when I was 40, so is my strength now. Now give me my mountain. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to kill the giant. I'm going to take possession of what God gave me. Boy, and he did. He had a good attitude. Now, I want you to think about this. I don't know very many 85-year-olds that could take the 40-year-old version of themselves. But Caleb said, I'm just as tough, I'm, I'm just as tough a son of a gun as I was back then. Caleb had an attitude, man. You didn't want to meet Caleb in a dark alley. He'd mess you up. And, but he, he saw himself, it's, I, I, don't think he was, I, I don't think he was probably as tough as he was when he was 40, but it didn't matter because he saw himself that way. Turn over to Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a great book. Nehemiah also had a major attitude of faith. <laughs> if you know about Nehemiah, it's... Uh, it's a post-exilic book, so the, um, 
nation of Israel is sent captive into Babylon and then Cyrus releases them and they go back to rebuild Jerusalem and they, they uh, rebuild the temple and then Nehemiah comes and he's going to rebuild this wall around, around Jerusalem. It's his destiny to, to, to build this wall. And uh, he has these enemies, Sanballat and Tobiah, and they, they uh, keep trying to discourage him. And I want you to read this in Nehemiah 6 and verse 10. Afterwards, this is Nehemiah speaking, I came unto the house of Shemaiah, who was the son of Delilah, the son of that guy, who was, who was shut up, and he said... Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us shut the doors of the temple for they will come to slay thee. Yes, in the night they will come to slay you. Wow. This guy's supposed to be, you know, Nehemiah's helper. And when he comes to him, he starts spreading fear. And he says, look, these guys, Sanballat and Tobiah, they're going to hire somebody. They're about to come kill you. You need to go into this temple and hide yourself. You need to quit doing what God told you to do, and you need to go run and hide. Well, let's let's read Nehemiah's response. And I said, Should such a man as I flee? And who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. I need, that, I need a better amen. <laughs> Say this with me. I will not flee. I will not flee. Look, he, the devil comes to him and says, you, you, you need to quit. You're about to die. And he says, you, you don't know who I am. That's right. <laughs> who being like me? Who, who being a born again, righteous, forgiven, redeemed, holy child of God? Who, who being, having all their sins forgiven and having, having the anointing of God rest on them and having a destiny out in front of them, who, who being like that would quit? Who being like that would run away? I'm not going to do it. It's not who I am. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. So, Look, look at verse 12. I love this verse. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. You know, sometimes there's been people that come up to me and say stuff, and, and it's, I'm always listening because I'm like, I, you know, God, God talked to a donkey. So I want to hear the voice of God, you know? And sometimes people will say stuff, and it's like so discouraging. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, and I'll listen to it, and I'll think, I'll think, well, maybe it's God. And then, and then I'll go away after a little bit, and I'll feel horrible. And then I'll perceive <laughs> that God did not send them. <laughs> not everybody that comes to you offering encouragement is from God. Because some people are going to say, you know, you're you're probably going to die. You're probably not going to make it. Well, that's not God. That's right. don't, don't, don't listen to that person. That's 
Now, don't be mad at them, but, but I mean, I'm not, if you're speaking death and, and failure, I'm not hanging out with you. I love you, but you're going to have to figure out how to say some different stuff if you're going to hang out with me. Hallelujah. Do you, know, do you know what kind of people like to say, I'm going to kill you? <laughs> you, know, you know what kind of people like to say stuff like that? People that aren't going to kill anybody. Yeah. I'm serious. You ever been around an actually dangerous person, like a military person? That like a special forces person? They don't go around saying, I'm going to kill you. You know why? Because they don't need to. You know, I've talked to demon-possessed people, and, and they're like, I'm going to kill you. That's how the devil talks, like he's had a lobotomy or something. And so why is he, why does he talk that way? It's because it's he's trying to scare you because he can't do nothing. The Bible says he's a roaring lion, not a biting lion, because Jesus pulled out his teeth. So when, when you see, like Nehemiah did, that, that, that God didn't send this person, if God's not bringing the problem and God's not speaking the death and the fear and whatever, then it's not a problem. And what Nehemiah says in another place, they're like, you, you need to come down here and talk with us. You know, sometimes people, you know, they want to have a, I don't know, people, anyway, don't focus on that. All right. <laughs> but sometimes people want to have a debate with you, you know, and argue about whether or not you're supposed to do what, what God told you to do. Yeah. Yeah. And what Nehemiah says is, why would I quit doing this and come down there and talk to you? He says, I'm doing a great work for God. I'm not going to quit this so I can go have an argument with you. The devil's not that important. I don't need to justify myself to the devil or to everybody. I don't need to explain myself to, to everybody. I need to keep doing what God told me to do. And so he says, I'm not going to come, I'm not going to come down there and, and talk to you. And, and what he does, basically, is he gets a bunch of guys and he says, we're going to keep building this wall. And he gets, he gets everybody that's building to hold the sword. So he basically says to the devil, look, I'm going to be over here building this wall. You know where to find me if you want some. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a sword in his hand. He's, I'm going to be doing the will of God. If you want to mess with me, you can come up here. And you know what happens? Nobody comes. Because at, at the core, the, the devil's a coward. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean you never have to fight somebody, but some battles you don't have to fight if you're willing to. All right. So here's the deal, is that when you, when you, you know, the, the devil's just trying to make you afraid. And, and fear will always try to keep you out of your destiny. And if you feel fear, what you want to do is run towards it. Amen. This is, what, this is what David did. He saw this giant named Goliath. Everybody was, was scared. I'm sure David was too. 
But David recognized that if I go kill this giant, my destiny is on the other side of that. Became the king's son-in-law. When you boil it all down, what fear is, it's, it's the belief that I won't be okay and I won't be able to handle it if blank happens. If I, if I lose this loved one or if I can't pay this bill or if I, this person rejects me or if something happens, whatever it is you're afraid of, if that spider crawls across me, Whatever it is, I won't be able to handle it. I won't be okay. That's what fear is. I want you to read this last scripture with me in Philippians 4. I know this is a little more intense than what I usually do, but I just felt fired up today. Philippians 4, 11 through 13, it says... This is Paul, and he's, he's talking to the Philippians about his financial situation, but he's really talking about just his life. And he says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We use that verse out of context a lot, and I think it's fine. But what it really means is this. I can be okay in any situation. Amen. And Paul knows that because of his experience, because he's been in a lot of bad situations. But he says, I've learned the faithfulness of God. I've learned that regardless of the situation, God is taking care of me and I'm going to be okay. And he says later he's going to supply all of our needs. He's going to take care of us. Everybody say this with me. It's going to be okay. So how do I possess the promised land? Well, first of all, agree with God about who you are. Then second of all, just just don't yield to fear. And you do that by recognizing that you can be okay no matter what. I wanted to read you this quote that I found. I was, I was reading about this lady, Julian of, of Norwich. She wrote this book in about 1300, late 1300s. It's the first English book written by a woman that survived. She was dying. She was like 30 years old. She had a terrible disease. You know, they didn't have doctors and stuff like we do. And, and she's dying on her deathbed, and Jesus appeared to her. She saw him bleeding in front of her. And he spoke to her, gave her a bunch of revelation. And after that, she lived another 40 or 50 years. Because <laughs> when Jesus speaks to you, even if he's not trying to heal you, he does. Because <laughs> every word he speaks is life, and we live by every, every word that proceeds out of his mouth. But, but anyway, I, I found this quote, and I just thought it was so phenomenal, and I, I wanted to read it to you. It says, there is a deed which the blessed Trinity will do in the last day. As to my sight, 
And when this deed shall be and how it shall be done is unknown of all the creatures that are beneath Christ and shall be till when it is done. So God's going to do something. We don't know when. We don't know how until it's going to happen. But we do know this. This is the cause that he wants us to know about this deed. It's so that we would have a more ease, or excuse me, have, have our soul be more eased and set at peace in love, leaving the beholding of all troubling things that might keep us back from truly enjoying Him. Boy, that's a great word. He says, he says God wants you to know that He's going to do something so that you can quit beholding all the troubling things in your life and enjoy God and enjoy life better. Well, what's the deed? This is the great deed ordained of our Lord God from without beginning, treasured and hid in His blessed breast, only known to Himself. You ready for it? He shall make all things well. And in another place he says, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all that is not well, it shall be well. You might say, how? How is that possible? But I trust him. I know who he is. He's presently, actively working in my life to fix it. And you know, there may be some things that aren't fixed all the way until, until he comes back. But he's, he's working actively right now. It's all going to be okay. So we don't need to be afraid. So we can go in. Kill our giant. Take possession. Take possession. Let's all stand up. My prayer team could come down here. I don't know uh, what your promised land looks like or what you believe in God for, but I just want to encourage you. you. You don't need to be afraid. Go after it. Believe God. Take a risk. When we were uh, praying about coming here to do this and stuff, it... It was scary, and actually, even before, well before this, I had to quit teaching and and uh, <laughs> go to go to Bible college all day. And I remember telling my dentist, the dentist was like, "What do you do?" And I was like, "Well, I quit teaching so I could work at this phone center." And she looked at me like I was crazy. I, I worked, I did this so I could go pray with people, and I, and I just, you know, there's just fear. God, God the, the devil tries to hold us back and, and keep us from doing things, and I. Uh, but I told my, my high school kids, I was like, I'm, I'm going to quit, not because I don't love doing this or love you, but I believe that I'm called the pastor, and I, it's a dream that I have since I was a, a little kid. And I said, I don't know whether it's going to work out. I don't, I don't know. You know, it, it and, and here, you got to understand my heart, guys. It, our identity is not in, in what we do. So even if, even if I failed, that's, that's not the, the big issue. The issue is, I, I told these kids, I said, I don't have kids yet at the time, but when I do, I want to be able to look them in the face and say, Dad, 
took the risks that were necessary to pursue his dreams. Even if I didn't accomplish everything, I tried. Because that's what I want to do. How many of you can say amen to that? So look, I'm going to pray for you. If you need personal prayer, you can come down in just, just a minute. We'd love to agree with you in prayer for anything. But I'm going to pray for everybody and then we'll dismiss service. Father, we just thank you for your extravagant goodness. We thank you that you love us, that you have a, a promised land waiting for us. And whatever it is, I just release boldness over your people to go out and do it, to take the risks that are necessary, to take possession of the land and not let the voice of fear keep them back, to recognize who they are, go after all that you have for them. And we thank you for that and we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We love you. Have a great week.